This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Swastika acres. Eh, eh. Potholes save lives. Uh, just One Bad Century, we feature Phil Mudrock. Uh, Doris Roberts is our celebrity uh, tale that I tell this week. And we replay our last interview with the late Chet Kopic. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. That is coming up right now. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opi production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. <laughs> I was, was going to do a big Minutia Man, but I started too high and I couldn't come back down. Yeah, well, with your voice, yeah. you start high. You've got I had, part, Yeah. You can't even start high with the, the dulcet tone. No, that's what threw me off. I didn't think I could hit that high a note. And you can't. I, so. can't, I can't. I'm <laughs> sorry. So my apologies for getting us off on a bad foot. Yeah, but, uh, total you know. energy sap right there. Hey, by the way, speaking of bad feet, uh, you just flew back and forth uh, to California, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do your feet swell up when you go on airplanes? No, Asking but, for a friend. <laughs> um, mine don't, but I, what I notice is my hands will swell. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you know what they yeah. say about men with swollen <laughs> Well, I've been told that this is all precursor to arthritis. Oh, which is fantastic, and it runs in my family. Well, it could be the could it be the gout or the elephantitis or your poor circulation? Well, the elephantitis itself is uh, precursor to arthritis, apparently. So you know that I took my um, I had a big health check. You know, I had my physical. Yes. Like, yes. It was like four weeks ago or three weeks ago. By the way, can we just change the name of the show to uh, Medical <laughs> <About> Men? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Pillbox <laughs> with Rick and Dave. Monday. Uh, so so I took my... So I, I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned on the air, had a little blood pressure problem a yeah. few weeks ago or right. a few months ago where... You know, I got my blood pressure checked at the grocery store and a siren went off, you know, <laughs> and the skull and crossbones uh, image came up on the screen. Right. So I decided, like, you know what? I think I probably should get this checked. Um, so I had the blood pressure checked and then it was some time since I had a physical. So I did one of these big checks, you know, the big health screenings where you get all yeah. the, you know, the cholesterol and the PSA and the C-reactive. And, and the all. stress test and all no, that I didn't, stuff. No, it yeah. wasn't a stress test, but it was a whole litany of okay. different things. Like yeah. they tested my carotid artery and see if there was any plaque or whatever. Okay. Right. So I did that. They said that the results would be mailed two to three weeks. Right. Okay. Well, the third week, I didn't get it before I left for California. I knew that the results were going to be in my mailbox when I got back from vacation, right? Oh, great. And I don't know what you know about me. I'm a little of a bit of a... Worrier? A little worrier, yeah. as you know, my 100 milligrams right. of Zoloft will attest to. <laughs> I just want to, as before we get on this flight, say, if I never see you again, <laughs> right. this has been a wonderful vacation. Right, right, exactly. I love you, you know, guys. California, I love you. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. So, so I get home. We get home Sunday night, and there it is right in the, you know, right on the top of the mail. We must have got there a couple of days earlier, was the Lifeline screening test results. Yeah. So what do you think I did? I think you're fine. Uh, well, what did you think? I opened it that night. Oh well, yes, immediately. No, I didn't open it. I what? didn't. Open what? It. Well, it was it was late. It was like so. I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? If it's bad, I'm not going to be able to do anything tonight oh about it. God. So I'll just do it. Hold on, it gets better. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll just walk. I'll just do it Monday after class. You know, I was teaching on Monday, so Monday comes around. I had it in my bag. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to open it now. I could not open it until yesterday at around ten o'clock. 
Which is why I have not gotten the full report yet. I was wondering, because, you know, um, usually this is, whenever there's medical news, my uh, phone goes off and I get the full medical report. The vast majority of it was fine. You know, my PSA, in fact, I had a little yeah. notation. You know, I have a great prostate. Hey, it, nice PSA. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the C-reactive test was great. I mean, yeah. no plaque in my in my arteries and whatever. Fantastic. So all that's good. Until you get to the stroke part, the, the, oh, yeah. the chance of having a stroke yeah. with the high blood pressure, and I've had AFib before. Yeah. I, I, I was in the red as far as stroke okay. possibility. So uh, this, I'm going to just eat spinach for the rest of my life <laughs> and walk 25 miles a day. Well, you have the same thing with oh, stroke, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's why I stroke it. Yeah, no. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I I'm in the red in all the same areas mm-hmm. that you're in the red. So I think that's the middle age red. So this <laughs> could be the final episode of Minutia, but right. you never know. And it's going to be a good one. We oh. got a great show today. Do you uh, have? Did you bring Minutia with you today? I, I did bring some Minutia. Uh, we've got actually a great guest later on in the show, Sheila Motion. Uh, author. No, that's not true. That's oh, going to be right. next week. All right. Mm, so Dave, right. here's what we're doing. Uh, that's right. Today we I'm have sorry. decided to replay a, a previous interview but I, and, and there's a really great reason for it and we'll talk about okay. that in I'm just sorry, a few yeah, moments right. but Sheila will be on next week right um, I do have some minutia okay great do I, do you need audio from no, me no. here let me let me tell you which jingle I need <laughs> okay hang on. here we go oh. did Dave really find another story about Nazis <laughs> another one I'm guessing he did Denver area subdivision finally renamed Swastika Acres Subdivision. There's, is, is this a real story? It is a real story. After 111 years, Cherry Hills Village leaders... So that's pretty, uh, pretty Nazi. It, it is. Have a, uh, 111 years ago. They finally scrubbed the city's maps of Swastika Acres. Oh my goodness. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the name of a 56-lot subdivision located just outside of Denver. Okay. Swastika Acres. <laughs> Starting this week, Swastika Acres will officially be known as Zyklon B. Yeah. That, no. Oh, that's not nice. That well, is uh, not nice. Old Cherry Hills. Okay. Okay. I think it's important for our community to bring some closure to this issue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, said so. Councilman Dan Sheldon. Uh, Dan, World War II ended 75 years ago. I think yeah. maybe we should have done something a little bit before, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the SWAT band... In their defense, the Swastika Acre subdivision was named in 1908. Right. Okay. Good year. By the De- yeah, Cubs, right. By the Denver Swastika Land Company, well before the Nazis appropriated. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, my name is Joe Swastika. What <laughs> yeah, right, from right. me? Everybody named Hitler in the 40s were like, fuck! Um, and it was, as you know, the swastika was, it was used by Native Americans. Um, now, I bet the neighboring subdivisions like Warsaw Hills and Parisian Palace were really happy about the change of the name, right? Well, what am I going to do with my house on Birch's Garden Boulevard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, well, the whole the advertising slogan's got to be changed. It's no longer Swastika Acres Uberalis. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Work means freedom. Yeah. <laughs> swastika Acres is the place to be. <laughs> Armband living is the life for me. Fronts spreading out <laughs> far and wide. Here come the cops. Great grandpa, you better hide. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay well, so, hey. well now hold on uh, yeah. as a journalist Rick, 
Um, I dug into the story and I found the rules and regulations issued from the Swastika Acres Homeowners Association. Oh, okay, these are rules and regulations that uh-huh. all residents of Swastika right. Acres are all totally uh, real. Right. And they had to abide by it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, all dogs must be named Blondie. <laughs> okay. Which, that was Hitler's dog. Uh, yeah. Residents must now mow their lawns six days a week, <laughs> and all blades of grass can only be one inch and one quarter, a hundred percent of the time. Now, Dave is saying that because a friend of ours, Dane Placco, last week's guest, yeah. uh, had to track a couple of these Nazis, and he said you could always tell which one they were because they had the most perfect lawns. <laughs> Um, in the spirit of safety for all residents, uh, they must have their shoes tied in little Nazis. <laughs> Very good. Uh, hold on. Uh, there will there will be absolutely positively no public displays of affection allowed, <laughs> Ever. period. Ever. Right. If your kid does something good, it's a handshake or not even. No words of encouragement in the subdivision. Yeah. Um, and finally, to combat p- backyard pests. Yeah. Uh, citronella torches are not only allowed, but encouraged. The citronella torches. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get you. All right, there I get you. Swastika Hills, yes. baby. No yeah. longer. Yeah, all their papers are no longer <laughs> in order. Right. Do you think that they, they don't have, in the subdivision, they didn't have security gates? They had guard towers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Hogan? All right. So anyway... <clears throat> Uh, this has kind of been a sad week for yeah. us here uh, at Eckhart's Press. I, we should mention uh, Chet Kopic, who uh, is one of our authors and, and became a good buddy of ours, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, passed away this week uh, in a car accident. And Chet has actually written another book for us, mm-hmm. which will be coming out this summer. He wrote the uh, uh, autobiography of Dennis McKinnon. Dennis McKinnon. So that's... Um, and he, for those of you who don't know, he's a Chicago Bears wide receiver. It's called Silky D, uh, number 85, Bears All. Right, Super, Super Bowl champion. Um, so, But anyway, there's a lot of great stuff still coming from Chet, even though he has passed away. His memorial service is going to be Monday, for those of you who are fans. Um, and live in Chicago. At, at, uh, do you have that information handy? No, it's, um, I know it's in Lincoln Park. Saint something or another. All right. I'm going to get that for you as Dave tells you a little more. Uh, but yeah, Chet was a, um, he started in Indianapolis or, and he uh, was the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks at age like 22 or so. Well, he was the producer of their, um, of the Bucks radio broadcasts okay. <clears throat> during the year that they won the championship. Yeah. And then from there he went to Indianapolis and he was yeah. in Chicago. He was one the of guy, the, the guy, he was the sports guy on NBC five. Mm-hmm. And then he went from that to creating a little, uh, a thing called Sports Talk Radio. He yeah, right, is right. the godfather of Sports Talk Radio. All right, here's the information. It's going to be 10 o'clock Monday at St. Paul's United Church of Christ, 2335 North Orchard Street in Chicago. And <clears throat> coming open to up, the public. Open to the public. Open to the public. And they're going to, knowing Chet and knowing his family, it's going to be funny. Right, right. There will be a lot of people there paying tribute to Chet, and everyone has got a Chet story, and I've been hearing them. And the thing that really depresses me over these last few days and i'm being totally serious about this is how much love there was out there for chet mm. he had no idea yeah he really had no idea that people felt this strongly about him because i talked to him many times about mm. it he's like yeah time has passed me by mm-hmm. nobody cares anymore totally not true yeah, yeah. Uh, well we had a great response from his last book and yep. um yep it was a really good book godspeed yep. buddy so coming up later in the show mm-hmm. 
we are going to replay our interview with Chet, and uh, he's going to talk about all of his great career highlights in that interview. So uh, be sure to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, one of the things that he talks about in that uh, interview is one of his most embarrassing moments. And it was a time that he was interviewing Tommy Lasorda, and Tommy Lasorda was known for having long-winded answers. Mm. So Chet, who used to try to multitask, decided to eat <laughs> his dinner while he was doing the interview. And for the first time ever, Tommy Lasorda answered with like a three-second answer. And Chet then had food in his mouth. right? And my uh, good buddy Matt Bisbee, who yeah. used to work with us over at The Loop, sent me this audio, which uh, we're going to play for you now. This is uh, Chet. This is a little promo he put together right after Chet did this. Any sportscaster can interview Tommy Lasorda, but only Chet Kopik knows how to interview the legendary Dodger manager with a Bigsby's Cobb salad in his mouth. <laughs> what a pro. And if the time comes and uh, they they do feel that I can no longer manage the ball club, then, uh, then I'll have to look elsewhere. <laughs> in terms of Tommy Lasorda, <laughs> I would think that... Uh, Network television would be a, a very viable option for you. I would think that uh, there would be a number of ball clubs that would still want your uh, managerial expertise. I can't imagine Tommy Lasorda ever having to put on the full court press to get a job. Chet Kopik, a <laughs> pro, a stellar performer, cool as a cucumber, even when he's got one in his mouth. <laughs> Oh, that's just funny, funny. Yeah, funny. and it's um, it really is a shame, and we, well, we'll be, yeah, we'll, we'll right be at there. the memorial service. Um, I got a story from our health desk. Oh, okay. Did great. you know we even had a health desk? We I even did ta- not. We talk about health all the time, <laughs> so we that. should have a health desk. I thought the whole desk was health. All right, go ahead. Uh, this comes out of Nebraska. Man's rapid heartbeat returns to normal when an ambulance hits the pothole. Hits a pothole. Oh, this is right down your alley. Exactly. It would be hard to find anyone who likes potholes, but hitting one apparently saved a Nebraska's man's life. (laughs) Paramedics were racing a 59-year-old man who had a dangerously high heartbeat, 200 beats per minute, uh, to the hospital when the ambulance hit a pothole. Miraculously, paramedics paramedics said that the heart rate went completely to normal after he hit the pothole. Right, because then he could just be yelling at the municipal municipal <laughs> workers. Right, like, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, d- traditionally doctors say that this isn't normal, but it can happen. A jolt, you know, from electrical or, a, you know, like hitting a TV set to get yeah. the, the reception. Now, my teenage daughter is probably when she's hit it, when she's learning how to drive, yeah. just hitting potholes <laughs> when I'm there for my health, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's not like, hey, see that giant hole? You don't drive <laughs> right, through it. Right, right. But, Dad, I'm worried about your AFib. <laughs> so there you go. Nebraska. All I right. guess they have potholes in Nebraska as well. Who knew? Yeah. All right, it's time for another feature. Time now for a collection of Cub Geekness. This is Just One Bad Century with Rick and Dave. So, you know, we got to talk Cubs now. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm a, officially a Cubs writer. You've got three boxes of books literally I know. two feet away from you right here. Yeah, Every Cub Ever is mm-hmm. the name of my book. It uh, is out this weekend for the first time. You can buy it. By the time this comes out, you'll, you'll, it's too late for you to come to our uh, appearance. But we've got another one coming up. We'll tell you more about that uh, next week. Um, but anyway, part of the part of the whole deal of every cub ever is I've written about every cub ever, every cub ever, except for that one guy, right? 
Yeah, no, no. No, please don't say that. <laughs> please don't say that. You know, every time somebody asks me about someone and it doesn't immediately ring a bell, I'm like, oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. And, but they're all in there. I swear to God, they're all in there. So this week was Earth Day. And on Earth Day, I went through all the Cubs' names to try to find the most appropriate Cub to talk about for every Cub ever. And I've decided to go with Phil Mudrock. Oh, Mudrock. Mudrock. It's, right. you know, it's an Earth, Earth. Day thing. Right. Uh, and if you want to find uh, Phil Mudrock, you want to set the Wayback Machine to April 19th, 1963, Candlestick Park, San Francisco, his only game ever mm -hmm. in the major leagues. Now, the thing that I find interesting, and I love these stories when I was working on the book, because I can go back and look at that exact game and find out everything that happened to him during that game. Like most people. Yeah, you know, like people do. Uh, he came in to uh, relieve Cubs ace Larry Jackson in the eighth inning, and he faced only five batters, all right? Now listen to these batters that he faced. It was against the Giants. He faced Jim Davenport, who you may not know, and Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, and Felipe Alou. <laughs> that, those are the five guys that he faced. Three Hall of Famers in a row, Mays, McCovey, and Cepeda. He gave up a double to Davenport and a single to McCovey. Um, and the, But then he got out of the inning. Oh. And then he went back into the dugout. From the dugout, he watched in the top of the ninth, his teammates, Ron Santo, Ernie Banks, and Lou Brock, hitting against Juan Marichal. So, so there's four more uh, Hall of Famer. Famers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable. So that's Phil Mudrock's career. It was only one inning long, but it, it was memorable. And you can read about him and many others in every cub ever available at EckhartsPress.com. That's right. Or a random name pulled out of Rurik's bowl of brushes with celebrities. Mixture. Collection. Selection. Assemblage. Medley. Assortment. Variety. Time now for Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Dave. So this is the part of the show where Dave reaches his hand into the Costco jar, pulls out a name of a celebrity, and I have to tell the story of having met that celebrity. Uh, Doris Roberts from Everyone Loves Raymond. Yes, she was. Like she's in a ton of other things too. Yes, she recently passed away, yeah. I think. But she was in. Um, she was the mom mm -hmm. in Everybody Loves Raymond, which was really one of the best roles on that show. Don't you think? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that was. She was the focal point of many episodes. But during the heyday of Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, Dave and I wrote a <laughs> Everybody Loves Raymond script. And we can probably pin this down at what time, when this was, because the, the script was about an argument between the husband and the wife about a present for a two-year-old boy and what's appropriate and what's not. And it's based on a story that happened to me in real life with my oldest son, Tommy. So who, 20 years ago, probably. So, yeah, 20, yeah, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. right, so Tommy, uh, when he turned to my wife, Bridget, wanted to get him a tea set mm -hmm. For a birthday present. Now, every woman says, so what's wrong with that? Mm. Um, but it was in a pink box with little, you know, and I know I'm sounding like a Neanderthal as I discussed this. It was this, 20 but, years ago. But I'm Things still, have changed. I, I still think it was a weird <laughs> gift for a two-year-old. I mean, of all the gifts you can give, yeah. you have to give them that. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was perfect for Everybody Loves Raymond. And, and, and Dave and I wrote that script. And it was, a, it would have won an Emmy. It, it was very funny. Well, then I found out later that Doris Roberts was going to be appearing on our show, uh, on Landecker show. Now, I did not have the guts to do this myself, so I asked Vince Argento, who is my assistant, if he wouldn't mind giving the script that we wrote to Doris Roberts. And I thought she could then 
handed in to Because she has nothing better to do, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, my vision was she'd sit there and she'd right. read it and she'd go, oh my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> These guys should be, they should be writing for the show. Why aren't they writing for us? Here's a check for $1,600,000. <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way. Do you remember what happened? Uh, from what I remember is that she kind of got pissed, didn't yeah. she? And yeah. she refused to even touch it or right. uh, right. because of legalities, right? Yeah. I mean, she said, no, Mike, if I even say, if I even say that I've seen that, yeah. then you could sue us if we do anything similar. Mm-hmm. And she really went off mm-hmm. and that was, uh, uh, turns out not a good move on my <laughs> part. <laughs> but who knew? Uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, that was before the internet. You would have researched it before the internet, right? I mean, well, that's, uh, it wasn't really before the internet, was it? 20 years ago, the internet was around. No, I guess you're right. Yeah. You, yeah, you just did not, you did not do your due diligence I, on yeah. this one. I just didn't know. I thought, she's in the show. She sees the head guys every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's my Doris Roberts story. Put their inbox and everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my apologies to Doris Roberts. Uh, so, now let's do our, uh, our big celebrity interview. This is going to be a replay. I'm going to play the audio. And we'll launch right into our uh, our final interview that we ever did with a Chicago legendary broadcaster, Chet Kopik. And here we go. Time now for the Celebrity Minutia Minute. Hey, you got a minute? Celebrity Minutia Minute with Rick and Dave. Okay, joining us now on the phone, uh, the godfather of sports talk radio. Maybe the man that invented the entire format, Chet Kopik. How are you, Chet? Well... Mr. Kemper? Yes. Mr. Stern? How are you, sir? Thanks both of you. What's new in your world? Uh, Well, I don't know if you heard, the Chicago Cubs kind of uh, didn't quite do what we thought they were going to do. Yeah, I was at that game, Chet. It was a uh, 13-inning game. It ended at like, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning or 12.30 or something ridiculous. And uh, uh, I feel like it was a waste of my uh, time and money. Well, I, I don't blame you, but, uh, you know, who would have thought in our lifetime we'd see two ball clubs celebrate in uh, consecutive days uh, victories that advanced them in the playoff environment at Cubs Park? Yeah. I mean, that was strange, number one. Number two, um, I'm getting tired of people bum-wrapping Joe Mad. I don't always agree with uh, Joe, but, I mean, he can't be held accountable for the fact that uh, – um, Rival managers no longer at the game plan for uh, Cal Schwarber. The fact that uh, Rizzo had a miserable April. Uh, the pitching staff had issues. Uh, Morrow was down and out. And uh, here's one that here's one that I'm contemplating. I don't know if we haven't seen his best days, and he might just be one of those guys who was a remarkable, remarkable flash in the pan. But I am I am no longer sold at all. On Chris Bryant, mm. I thought was just uh, peculiarly uh, indifferent with the with the bat during those uh, two ball games this past uh, several days. Do you think we might be looking at another like Ron Kittle sort of thing? That's kind of interesting. It's a that's a good analogy. Kittle and uh, I remember you know covering Ron back in 1983, and it was it was a joy to cover him. He was a big a big um, little Abner type character from you know. Um, uh, the region, Gary, Indiana, hit 35 home runs with 100 RBIs. Then Kitty came up with an assortment of injuries. And, you know, right now, uh, uh, Bryant apparently has a labrum injury, which is bothering him. But in the case of Kittle, what what I find to be interesting, Rick, is that if he would have stayed healthy, he would have hit 300 home runs. 
but he just he just couldn't keep himself out of the whirlpool bath. And as a result, um, what what made Ron Kittle interesting in this town was not so much what he did with the bath, but the fact that his uh, his personality just, as you know, glows. Yeah, he's a funny, likable guy, and uh, uh, he's nameless to uh, everybody's party. Chat, you've been to how many stadiums? Do you think you've been to? Two thousand. How many games have I been to? No stadiums. stadiums. Different stadiums. Two thousand. A thousand. How many stadiums? <laughs> Just ballpark. How many stadiums? Wow. If we if we added up all the all the basketball, baseball, football, hockey games I've been to, it's got to be about fifteen hundred to uh, two thousand. Which of those fifteen hundred is the worst stadium you've ever been to? Oh, this this is easy. <laughs> this is really easy. In uh, nineteen seventy, guys. Uh, I was way too young, but I got a job producing the Milwaukee Bucks radio network. And ironically, that was here the ball club won the NBA title with uh, a young uh, Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem, and Oscar Robertson. Well, the first time we go into Cleveland, uh, we were playing on Euclid Avenue. And, I mean, you know, Euclid Avenue was about as safe as Englewood. <laughs> and uh, we stayed in a crummy Holiday Inn, and the ball players were ordered not to leave the hotel under any circumstances <laughs> until the team bus got there. Well, you know, we get to the ballpark about uh, an hour and a half in front of the game, and we're playing in the old Cleveland Arena, which it hadn't discovered plexiglass, yet it had chicken wire around the uh, around the dashers for uh, the Cleveland Barons hockey team. And I wanted to introduce myself to uh, uh, Bill Fitch, the head coach of the Cavs, and I said, uh, this place kind of gets you down. He said, oh, no, not at all. We leave the nation in one category, stolen cars. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a good one. Chet, um, have you ever wrestled an animal? This is I, a team oh, for you. Yes. I know I the answer to this question, but I just want you to tell the story because I love the story I, so I, much. I think everybody should do it at least once. I, I did it three times. It's it's kind of interesting, Rick. Uh, this goes back to about 1976 or seven. I'm sportscasting in Indianapolis, having a great run. And Sandy Knapp, who was the marketing director for the Pacers, called up and said, we booked Victor the Bear. Would you be willing to wrestle him? They said, absolutely. And I said, the, you know, the, only, the only demands I have are, one, I want to go on last. I want all the other cognacs who go on before me, I want to go on last. I then called up Dick the Bruiser, a you know, legendary wrestler who lived about five blocks away from Indiana, from me in Indianapolis. And so, you know, I asked him if I could, um, you know, borrow some trunks and some uh, a jacket and <laughs> other things. And, you know, I, I, he, gave me, he gave me a Roman, uh, he gave me like a Roman helmet to wear. And I, I got one of our uh, secretaries, a cute gal in our office, to be my slave girl. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, we went out and, I mean, the crowd booed like crazy. And I had told... Uh, uh, Ruffy Silverstein, Victor's trainer, that I wanted to lose in about 15 seconds and then have him uh, give me a couple of flying mares and a forearm smash and then let, let the other people pile on me. And, and it worked. I mean, it just. It Wait just a second. Wrestling worked. is fake? <laughs> what? <laughs> There's a scoop for you. All right. So, I mean, you know, it, it, Truth be told, I took a diet against the bear. <laughs> I love that story, uh, Chad. What was, I, what was interesting was uh, Philadelphia was in town that night, and um, Julius Irving 
<laughs> you know, saw me wrestle the and, and ever since then, whenever I've seen the doc, he'll always ask me this question. Are you still wrestling bears? <laughs> well, <laughs> but that, that, I mean, that was genuinely funny because the bear, the bear is drugged. He's declawed. Uh, all he's really worried about is sucking down Coca-Cola's. So uh, I, I, I figured if I was going to wrestle him straight, it would be boring. So why not, you know, why not... Uh, uh, get pinned in about 15 seconds, and then go to the history annex, which are so much a part of uh, professional <laughs> wrestling, as we know it. I love it. Are you still keeping touch with Victor the Bear, by any chance? <laughs> Just as an uh, it is, I, I really feel bad about this. Victor and I haven't corresponded in almost two years. Well, uh, ironically, Victor just bought your book. He has, and his credit card bounced, actually, so we're going to need to talk about that later. Uh, Chet, um, as you know, I, I love a good bagel, you know, and a good schmear. What is the best game buffet spread that you've ever witnessed? You know, uh, you know, after a sporting event, the big old after game spread. Is there or one? in a press box or yeah, you know. press box or after the game? Any of the buffets really stick out into your mind? Yeah, yeah. If I had to pick out uh, one buffet, uh, I'll give you two buffets that were just knockouts. Ironically, both of them were uh, uh, pregame. Phase. One would be the old uh, Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, where they just—I mean—they just put everything on the carpet: uh, pancakes, waffles, Ooh. sausage, omelets. You know, you name it. It was—it uh, was fit for a king. And then uh, the Jersey Meadowlands in the swamp, eight miles from uh, Manhattan. Their 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 pregame spread was just absolutely out of this world. So those those are two. And I, I remember years ago. In Old Chicago Stadium, the uh, uh, the press room was on the uh, north side of the arena, and it only for for dinner it only sat about about eight people. So you know, guys would guys would get there early just to get something to eat, and inevitably, if you didn't get there by a quarter to seven for a seven thirty tip off, all the blueberry pie was gone. Yeah. Well, that's which, a bunch which, of crap. in my opinion, was a, a genuine bummer. <laughs> All right, now, Chet, you've been on the air uh, in one f- fashion or another for over 40 years. What is the biggest gaffe you ever made on the air? Wow, that's that's interesting. Uh, well, first of all, I don't do well with chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's uh, a famous, uh, famous I'm on the old loop. I'm in, I, I'm in a doing Tommy Lasorda one night, and Tommy never answers a question in under 12 minutes. And so Tommy goes into his answer, and we'd had food brought in from Old Bigsby Sports Bar and Grill, and I'm I'm gnashing on a a chicken breast and take a real big bite, uh, damn near to choke me. And Tommy, lo and behold, answers a question in about 15 seconds. <laughs> and, and I'm going, Tommy, there's one say, there's one say, she'll that's one. Now, this is even better. When I'm on Sporting News Radio, this is about oh, 2002, 2003, I'm doing a Sunday night show. And now imagine this. I mean, you talk about good karma. Karma landing right in your lap. We had an engineer who was, who was leaving. That was his last night. And he walked in to say goodbye. I'm, I'm interviewing the um, media critic from the Los Angeles Times about something having to do with ESPN or something like that. And lo and behold, he goes into his answer, 
And what do I do? Once again, take a big bite of chicken. But (laughs) (laughs) it's only going to get better, guys. I mean, this is just the warm-up. We're we're in the prelim. We're we're advancing toward the main event. Um, I I choke on the chicken. Oh, you do a uh, mama cast. I, I start pointing. I start pointing toward the window to my engineer, the two engineers, and my producer, all of whom are engaged in conversation. <laughs> now this is a word I'm saying. And I fall on the floor. Oh, my God. And this engineer who was leaving that night came in and gave me the Heimlich maneuver, and I swear the chicken popped out of my mouth. It must have gone 15 feet. <laughs> wow. And, and I got back to doing the interview with uh, the fellow from the Los Angeles Times. He said to me, are you sure you want to continue? Did you have any more chicken afterwards? Like after the interview, did you get another big old... Uh, oh, sure. I mean, once yeah. the interview was done, <laughs> yeah, exactly. course break, I, yeah, you got to get I, back I, right I, on that horse. <laughs> I had a couple of thighs and a leg, and, you know, it was dance to the music. Now, we have just witnessed perhaps one of the best Chicago Bears performances in history. Uh, what is the worst Bear quarterback that you've... Well, in history, or it's certainly one that you have witnessed. We haven't got enough time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, there have been so many bad Bears quarterbacks. Now, most people, you know, most people of a certain age will say Bobby Douglas. Not not true. Bobby was poorly coached. Uh, he was really meant to be a, a fullback or a tight end than a quarterback. Yeah, he almost um, rushed for 1,000 yards one year. You can't say yeah, he, he yeah, was a bad yeah, quarterback. That was 19, yeah. 1972, he uh, played the Raiders in the final game of the year, and I think he came up 34 yards short of uh, – a thousand yards. It used to be funny because Abe Gibran, who was coaching uh, Bobby in the uh, early seventies after Jim Dooley got fired, uh, Abe had a real interesting way of motivating Bobby. You know, Bobby was really a nice guy and he had kind of a tender side. He was really a, uh, a lovable guy as he is. And you know, Bobby would drop back to pass and you know he'd go through his progressions and you know Bobby wouldn't find a thing because the Bears wide receivers were all in wheelchairs. <laughs> and Abe would just yell out, run, you donkey! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that reminds me of a great story about Abe. We have, we have time for Sure. No, it would have been about 1970, and uh, Hugh Hefner opened up a film, uh, opened up a theater over at uh, Dearborn and Division, and I called the Playboy Theater, naturally, and he began booking European art films, which, you know, I mean, commercially speaking, you're not going to go very well with European art films, but he did book a film called I Am Curious Yellow, which was the uh, first film shown in Chicago, I believe, that had full frontal male and female nudity. So, you know, I, I took the girl I was dating and we went, and the film was just absolutely laborious. I mean, I, I fell asleep halfway through my uh, my first box of milk duds. And I, I see, I look down to the, to the bottom row of the theater, and I hear this. <sighs> I, I hear this guy snoring like he's a like he's an elephant. And I said to my girlfriend, "I said that's Abe." And so you know, film ends, house lights come on, Abe is still sleeping. I, I walk down and go, "Abe," and I pat him on the shoulder. Abe, you got to get up. Abe looks at me, and I swear he said this. Don't tell Hallis I was here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. So uh, you've interviewed just about every 
uh, athlete, uh, anyone associated with sports over the last uh, 40 years, who of all those people that you interviewed was the biggest jerk? I have to give you two. Uh, one would be Will Clark. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that because I hate him. Absolutely a miserable SOB. Just rotten to the core SOB. And the other one, um, he would give you good material once once you got him. But he, he was such a pain. I remember, I remember for example, when the uh, when MLB went on strike back in '81, uh, the night uh, the night before the uh, the strike began, the uh, Yankees were in town playing the White Sox, and I, you know, I wanted to go over and get some get some quotes. I was with Channel Five in those days, which meant I could actually pay the rent. <laughs> um, and I uh, I went to Reggie, and and Reggie, I'm not kidding. He looks at me and says. Um, only 18 people have hit as many home runs as I've hit. How many people can do your job? 18,000? Wow. And I said, I said, all right, Reggie, you win. Now, you know, give me three minutes. And ironically, he did. He was very good. But, I mean, uh, Reggie could just be, he was a character. He was flamboyant. He was fun to watch. But, I mean, he could be. Just absolutely miserable. I can see why Billy Martin and Thurman Munson and all, all the Yankees in that area just couldn't stand the guy. Yeah, well, those are two good ones. Um, so I do a, a soccer podcast. I know you're not a, a fan of soccer, but you've obviously seen um, soccer players flopping, you know, where they, they take a dive. Oh, yeah. They, they yeah. roll around like, oh, I'm so hurt, you know, and, the, and they're terrible actors. They're, it's, it's a joke. It's one of the things about soccer that I don't like. You, as a, a showman, as someone who has uh, presented wrestling and has done roller derby, and you know how to make a uh, – and, and has wrestled a bear. Yeah, Victor the Bear, no less. <laughs> you, you know how to make a, make a show out of it. What are these guys doing wrong, and what, what can they learn from your tips of all these years? They don't, they, they don't sell the flops yeah. properly. They really don't. I mean, if, if you're going to flop – you, you, you've got to really make it a crash and burn. Um, hockey players flop a lot mm-hmm. from that standpoint. And, you know, it's getting to a point now where uh, wide receivers, if they, if they, if they can't make a catch, uh, they, they will tend to uh, flop and then scream for a, a penalty flight for a pass interference. But uh, getting back to soccer, Rick, here, here is the issue I have with soccer. And I did, ironically, I, I broadcast the thing when they were playing indoor soccer for a couple of years back in the mid-'80s and loved it. I mean, indoor soccer is like human pinball. Yeah, that, you know, that it's, was it's fun. It's a very small area. There's a lot of scoring. I, I really loved it. But I, the, the issue I've always had with soccer is I, I just don't feel like our country is the best country. See the World Cup, for example. Yeah. So I, I think uh, people like me and... Uh, uh, for that reason, a lot of people in general see it as being a sport that uh, uh, is at its best on the other side of the pond. And so as a result, there's a feeling that, you know, no matter whether it's Real Salt Lake or Chicago Fire or uh, whomever, that it's it's really not a great quality product. But the fact is, uh, it is a quality product. I mean, I, I think I think I would like soccer a lot more. If I hadn't grown up and began playing youth football when I was 
right. six years old. Yeah. Which is about 12 years before a kid should begin playing football. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. And, and football is you know, losing popularity among uh, youth because of the dangers of the sport. But uh, and, you Well, know, it is, but I mean, you know, people talk about the, uh, the end of football and, you know, the game is not going to survive. There's too much TV money. There's, um, there, there are too many uh, uh, kids in, in Florida, Mississippi, Alabama. What, you're going to walk into Texas and tell Texas to drop football? <laughs> yeah, point you know, they'll, they'll string you up. They'll, they'll start waiting in cold 45s at your, uh, at your sternum. So football <laughs> is always going to be around. However, we, we will continue over the next decade to see even more rule changes to the point that I can see a day coming where you will no longer be allowed to tackle a quarterback. You'll only be allowed to grab him. Yeah. I, I, I can see that coming. Because, I mean, for example, who's, who's the most valuable player in the NFL? Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. yeah. He's a TV draw. He's a winner. He's charismatic. The NFL needs him on the field. Yeah, that's true. And I root for uh, a career-ending injury every time the, the Bears play against him. But uh, that's exactly. just me. <laughs> Chet, you've had a long, wonderful career. Uh, what is your biggest regret, other than doing this podcast, Chet? <laughs> what is the biggest regret that you've had? Well, listen, in the, in the great scheme of podcasts, I've done about 925 of them. <laughs> that, were, that were weaker than this one. Oh, well, that's, this one that's high praise. This one's on my A-list. Um, I, I, you know, losing my gig at Channel 5 you know, hurt for a lot of years because I felt like I was a uh, a political victim, uh, although albeit, you know, when you have a handsome young uh, Italian uh, who's as charismatic as Mark Gian Greco, uh, uh, who are you going to take, the Bo Hunt from Northfield or the handsome Italian? You have five seconds to answer. <laughs> he's got a hell of a head of hair, too, and <laughs> yes, he does. And I give Mark all the credit in the world. He's been he's been on the air now in Chicago, my gosh, for, let's say, 35 years. I mean, that's just an incredible run. That that was disappointing, but I, I'll give you I'll give it a killer. In '79, when I'm in Indianapolis, I'm I'm starting to make some noise. Channel Five offers me a job. Um, I was offered a job in uh, Los Angeles, offered a job in Philadelphia, but um, I got a call from my uh, my agent, and he said uh, I, I was doing a speech in front of a group of women at a country club in Kokomo, Indiana. Let's face it, it doesn't get any bigger than doing a speech in Kokomo, Indiana. That's when you know you've reached uh, <laughs> the, the elixir, the high point. So my, my agent says to me, are you drinking? I said, no. He said, good, don't. Because in those days, I, I, I could you know, I could work the booze pretty well. He said, Washington, D.C. wants to hire you. They're coming in the morning to watch your uh, 10 o'clock news, and they want to have dinner with you. We're, 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 we're going to get this deal. So they flew in and watched a show. I called St. Elmo's Steakhouse, the best steakhouse in America, by the way, and got them to keep the kitchen open for an extra half an hour. And, you know, they they came equipped with airline tickets to fly out Saturday to uh, D.C. for my former wife and I. And we flew out, and they put us in the Watergate. And, you know, there was champagne, flowers, and uh, we went house hunting, and we had lunch in Georgetown, and... We had dinner at the Palm that night, and then afterwards, John Warbeck, the GM, we went off to this little, cozy little bar back in uh, Georgetown. And he said, uh, you know, I really want you. He said, I've got an idea. 
how would you like to do an extra half an hour of sports on Sunday nights? I'd like to call it the Czech Topic Sports Machine. Oh, and I want you to the World Series. I want you to the Masters, the Super Bowl, Wimbledon. I mean, he went through this whole litany of events. I said, John, we got a deal. I said, let me go back and get uh, have my agent get clearance from uh, Channel 8, and I'll, I'll start in two weeks. He went great. And we, we never even talked about money. I mean, money was the least of my worries because I, I knew they were going to pay me reasonably well. Right. But I go back, and Channel 8 would not let me out of my contract. Wow. And I've all, so for years and years, ironically, George Michaels, who wanted to post in the sports machine, and I became pretty good pals. And every time I'd see George at an event <laughs> around the country, I'd always remind him, George, just remember one thing. I made you a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you have a, pleasure, a, a, a new book out. It's called uh, Your Dime, My Dance Floor, Chet Kopic in Pursuit of Chet Kopic. And it is a, a tremendous book. It's available at EckhartsPress.com. Some of the stories you heard today, uh, actually only one of the stories that you heard There's today is in the book. in the book. There are so many stories. Chet has an unlimited supply of stories. It's a great book. We highly recommend it. Thanks, Thank buddy. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks, right. buddy. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Hmm. All right. Well, that's it. Just hearing his voice is... Um, yeah. It's a bummer. Uh, but anyway, we we miss you, Chet. And uh, there is a new book coming out by Chet. You know, you'll see a little bit more of Chet through that. Um, and, and as we mentioned earlier, the memorial service is Monday. If you'd like to uh, know more about Rick and Dave, uh, you can check us out at EckhartsPress.com. Actually, there's a tribute to Chet Mm -hmm, on there, mm -hmm. on that website right now. Also, ChicagoAuthorSolutions.com is another place to reach us if you want to email us. And by the way, we got an email this week. Oh, really? Yes. Um, And and basically, the gist of the email was, you know, last week we had Dane Placco on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we said in the show, uh, you know, 15 years, he's going to have to tell the joke again. The email was basically, are you really going to make us wait 15 years to hear <laughs> Dane's moose dick joke? Uh, yeah. Yes, we yes, are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> it wouldn't well, be the same if we told it. Or maybe not. You have to tune in every oh, episode good. for the next 15 years to good see Good tease. Right. Maybe it's coming up. Maybe I'm going <laughs> to say it right now. No, not right now. As it turns out, the show has been produced by Tony Lasano of Opi Productions, distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, and we'll be back again next week with another episode of Minutia Man. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at RadioMisfits.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Lasano and Friends. I do this podcast. Really? Yeah, you should listen to it. Yeah. What's it called? Well, Lasano and Friends. Lasano and Friends or Lasano and Friends? No, it's Lasano. It's totally different. Oh, yeah. Go yeah. crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. It'd be nice if Tony were actually here today for this uh, promo we're doing. No, I think a promo stands on its own better when the star of the show is not in it whatsoever. Wow. Are we friends with each other or just Tony? I'm friends on Facebook. Yeah, we're hey, hey, friends hey, on hey, Facebook. Quite, quite, quite. yeah. Lasano and Friends. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. So is this really a promo? How long are we going? (laughs) Radiomisfits.com Hi, I'm Chet Copper. Boy, we're up to a good start. Copic Uncensored, top-of-the-line guests. 
Always uh, outrageous opinions. Always in your face with topicality. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Topic Uncensored, right here on RadioMisfits.com.